If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 51. <clears throat> Stand one more time with the reading of the word, if you will, please. <clears throat> Psalm 51. <clears throat> and we'll just be going down through the word this morning and allowing it to speak to us. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. How true it is, how good it is, how refreshing it is. We're so thankful, O God, that you are willing to feed each and every one of us this, this morning in all the ways you see fit. Be with us just now in your name. Amen. Amen. This is an interesting psalm to me. For one thing, <clears throat> David is reaching out. Now, we would call this, perhaps, uh, the journey to Easter. And that's what I'm looking at this morning, the journey to Easter. Uh, this is literally a... Uh, 3,000 years ago. This was a long time ago, but David doesn't realize it, but there's a desire that's been placed in, in, in his heart. Desire comes to us, not from ourselves. Spiritual desire comes from God himself. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We see that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We see that God puts this, this strange desire within us to have this or to have that and so forth. And Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, He not only gives us the desire, but then he gives us the strength to fulfill that desire. So in all of our lives, it's left foot or right foot. It is this new desire that comes from God, and then there's a strength that we have as we begin to obey him, that strength comes, and so it's desire, and then this activity, it's desire, it is strength that comes, and we grow, and we grow. This particular psalm has to do with David, and we know from his past and all of his history, if you look at his biography, it's just a, a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. Back there, he killed the giant, and back there, he killed the bear, and he did all this kind of stuff. And as, a, as a, uh, a matter of fact, as he was growing in all that, he grew closer and closer to God. But then something happened in his life. And that happening in his life was there was a distance that grew in his relationship with God. No longer was he as close to God as it used to be. And we can notice that in our own lives, we can grow distant from this person or that person or another person. There's a, a distance that we can just awaken and we are there. David was like that. And as a matter of fact, during that time, David just, he just, he, why he just kind of went into sin. He went into a backslidden condition. It was uh, Spurgeon who used to talk about how that God himself will literally come to us and he would, he would treat us one way or another. And if we didn't watch out, we would we'd say, well, he didn't treat me good enough. David was not like that. But David was just a person who got his mind on something else, put his attention on something else, and he began to stray from God. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody and, or any, by any means anything like that. But there's a warning and there's a reminder from the Bible that simply says that all of us, we can, we can somehow be close to God and if we don't watch out, we can wake up and we can feel estranged. 
David says, I want a relationship. I want more than just to pacify God and make him happy. I want, I, I want a relationship. In those particular uh, places in Mesopotamia at that particular time, why the gods, when they would be served, the only reason why sacrifices was brought was to keep the gods happy. The reason why the sacrifices was brought was not so that you could be cleansed of sin but, and, and not even forgiven of sin. But everybody felt like at that particular time that if the gods weren't happy, then you were going to have problems. Sickness was going to come your way. Problems would come your way. The crops would not grow as you would like for them to grow. Sickness would come your way. Problems would come your way. And David is simply saying, you know, this spirituality that I have, that David has, he wants it to be relationship. He wants to know what it was like when he was a little boy, when he trusted God, and, and when he did kill the giant, and when he did these various things. He, he wants to know what it is to trust God and to walk with God, you know, to have the desire. And not only have the desire, but to follow through, and, and there would be strength for that desire. There would be a relationship that would go on. The first thing that we need to realize if we are going to take that journey toward Easter is simply this. It is a relationship. It is a relationship. And we read here, for it simply says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Blot out my transgressions. Also in that particular time in Mesopotamia, why those kings over there, and, and the priests, the priests, they would literally, they would keep books on people. Now, you're under a curse, and you're under a curse, and, and you're under a curse, and here are the things you have done. It was like public record. The priests kept all these lines about what people would do, especially if they didn't like them. And so they would keep these particular records. David simply says, blot out my record. Oh, God, blot out my record. You know all the things that I should have done and I didn't do. You know all the things that I wanted to do and I, I never accomplished for you. So he simply says, blot out my record. Erase it. Scratch it out. Blot out my transgressions. Transgressions there has to do with sin. Now we're not talking about uh, the, the sinful nature. That will come in verse 10. But what we're talking about here is the acts of sin. This particular rebellion and that particular rebellion, here's something I did over here. I knew I shouldn't do, but I did it anyway. Here are these transgressions. And, and God, the high priest, blotted out this sin and that sin and another sin and another sin. Blot that out. But, oh, God, more than that, help me to be able to have a relationship with you, that relationship of love. He's giving him a desire back here in the Old Testament. And some of these desires will never be fulfilled until the New Testament but he's giving this to him. Blood out my transgressions, my individual sins, my individual acts of rebellion. And then he says, wash away all my iniquity. Wash away all my iniquity. Now the word iniquity is different from the word transgressions. Iniquity there has to do with a bent. Now if you were going to shoot an arrow during those days and the arrow was bent, it just wouldn't go where you aimed it to go. And in, in this particular time, David was simply saying, Oh God, straighten out the arrows of my life. There is no way I can do what you want me to do, accomplish what you want me to accomplish, hit the goals you want me to hit with arrows that are bent. Take within me 
all of my efforts. Take within me the times that I strive to do your will and, and change that iniquity, that bent toward evil, and make it a bent toward good. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse my sins. Once again, cleanse my sins. Make them different. Wash them away. Wash them away. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. There's a journey to the cross. There's a journey in holiness. There's these journeys in, in getting closer to God. But there's also a journey in sin. And David found out that as he was traveling along in this journey of sin, sin is habitual. Sin grows. You'll never know how good you can be uh, as far as serving God until you start serving God. And you'll never know how evil you can be until you start serving Satan. It's a progression along that road, whether it's the road of righteousness or the road of evil. evil Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, he was smart. David, all of a sudden here, if you'll notice, he talks about God, but he doesn't talk about Uriah, and he doesn't talk about uh, all the family of Uriah. Those are legal problems he could have gotten into, so he doesn't even bring that up. He just talks about his relationship with God. It would have not been helpful for him to admit any guilt of any kind in a public sense, but he admits the fact that underneath all this, you can do evil to people, but the greatest evil that you have done to them is literally a sin against God. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. It's the journey. It's the experience. There's an experience in righteousness and experience in sin. And David had found out in his life that in the experience of sin, God is always right. Every time we sin, we, we die just a little bit in mind, will, and emotions. We die in some way in our life. The wages of sin is death. There's always a payment that we will pay. There's always something that we will get ourselves into when we are not walking toward where God would want us to walk and fulfilling the desires that he would want us to fulfill. Against you only, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. God is right. Sin is evil. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire the truth in the inner parts. In that particular time, they literally believed that children knew what was right and wrong when they were born in their mother's womb. The child moving around inside the mother, they felt like could literally feel what was good and what was bad, what was going on in, out, in, outside of the womb, whether it was good or it was evil. And David is simply saying, you were with me even when I was in my mother's womb. David is literally saying here why there was like desires within me to know this, to recognize that, and so forth and so on. God, you have been with me all along the way. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. David is saying if there could be a relationship with you, I'm not just trying to make you happy or anything, but if there could be a relationship between you and that little kid that's there within the womb of the mother, 
there can be a relationship with you and myself. And David is saying somewhere along the line, I, well, there's been that growth, there's been that distance that has happened between you and myself, God. We have, we have become strangers in ways. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Hyssop, uh, the hyssop bush was a small bush, and they would break off those particular pieces. As a matter of fact, back in Israel, when, when Israel was leaving Egypt, while they had to put the, the blood on, on the sides of the doorposts and on the top of the door, and they would do that. When they did that, they did it with a, a, a bush, a, a piece from a bush that was a hyssop bush. When people would come, to, when the, uh, a leper needed to be verified that they were cleansed, they would come to a, a priest, and the priest would sprinkle them, and he would sprinkle them with a piece of hyssop. That blue, that, those red leaves and so forth, that, that would be part of that, would be part of the beauty as the, the priest would hold it out over the people. It says, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Wash there is to beat, you know, like washing clothes. They would beat the stains out and beat the stains out. And he says, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. What he's talking about as far as snow there is it's not just at the surface. It's not that I just join the church, get baptized, and do all these kinds of things. It's a relationship. I want something more than surface. I'm seeking you. He has sought him in relationship. Now he is seeking him in salvation. That's the second point of what I'm trying to say to you this morning. It's not only, first of all, uh, uh, just that journey of a relationship, but secondly, it is that blot out my transgressions. At verse 1, there, there it is. For all of a sudden we see that in the scriptures that he is saying, I need salvation, the journey of salvation. The journey of salvation is a horrific journey without God cleansing me and making me what I ought to be. He says, let me hear, in verse 8, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. God's great mill wheel that comes down upon us and grinds us and grinds us and breaks us. The wheels of God coming down upon our sins will grind us into little pieces. And it literally shows us the wages of sin is death. David had experienced the further he got away from God, the more miserable he was. And he wanted to restore that relationship. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He simply saying, oh God, turn your face from my sins. You know I'm ashamed. You know I have these experiences within me. You know night and day the horrific thoughts that, that I am out of relationship with you have come my way. Why? It's relationship in verse 1. And then we also see in verse 1 and 2 that it has to do with blot out my transgressions. So on the way, on the journey to Easter, why there's that journey of, of relationships, a journey of salvation, and then if you really want to get into sanctification, if you want to know where we can find in the Old Testament where we see two works of grace, we see there and blot out my transgressions, why that salvation, and then creating me a clean heart, 
That's sanctification. Verse 10, it says, create, create in me a pure heart. A pure heart, O oh God. You can't make yourself pure. To an extent, you can maintain purity with the help of the Holy Spirit, but you can't create a pure heart. Only God can do that. Only God can give you new desires. Only God can give you new thoughts. I remember when I was called to preach, I was just between the 6th and 7th grade, knelt by the bed one night for whatever reason, which was not my habit, and thought, you know, I wonder what ought to be when I grow up. And the words came to me, be a preacher. When that happened, I just literally died out laughing. I just laughed because if there's anything I didn't want to do, it was be a pastor. The church was running probably 300 at the time, and there were problems in the church and things were going on. If there's anything I knew, I didn't want to have anything to do with the church. I was on my knees, and it was just shock. I, I started laughing, and then all of a sudden I thought, wow, this is strange. And so quickly I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I got back in the bed. I was afraid. And when I got back in the bed, as far as I was concerned, I'd said yes to him. That was my little contract with him. My dad was in insurance for years. I knew what it was to write a contract. So, okay, this is it. There you go. I'm out, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to bed. I did. Did you know over the next few weeks and months and so forth, I found myself. I found myself picking the Bible up. I found myself reading missionary books. Okay? And some of you may not know what missionary books were, but in those days there were missionary books in the church. And I would go and I would seek out somebody to get a missionary book. There were changes that took place in my heart. There were changes that took place in my life. And I could go on there a number of stories about all that. But I want you to know this. God can create within you a new heart and new desires. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Steadfast there simply is a spirit that is firm, a spirit that is constant, a spirit that is consistent according to your will. And then he says, reverting back to prayer, reverting back to looking inside of himself, he says, do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. If there's one thing he does not want to do ever again in his life. He never wants to be away from the closeness of God that he had, had experienced. If there's one thing that sin will do to you. It will ultimately sooner or later drive you toward God. You will be so miserable until all of a sudden you will either literally become numb and the very fact you don't even know there is a God or either you'll be drawn close to God. But David says, don't ever take your spirit away from me. He's probably thinking of Saul when he said that. You know how Saul was. Why Saul started taking the very presence of God, the spirit of God. He had been anointed by God and, and he starts taking the presence of God, the spirit of God granted in his life. It wasn't that he, he sinned and that was it. But he literally, he became accustomed to sin. He became numb to not sinning. He, he, became, he numb, became numb in the fact that to be away from God was okay with him in a sense. Although he was miserable, 
David says, don't ever allow me to somehow get into a place where I'm okay with being away from you. And church, if there's one thing that we need to do, it's one thing to be pure. It's another thing to have. It's, it's one thing to have a, a history of being pure in our own heart and life. It's another thing to maintain the purity. And we come. The scripture says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you in James. Flee from the devil and he will flee from you. You look at that sin, you see that sin, you say, get away from me, Satan, and Satan has to get away. It's a promise of God. You say, get away from me, Satan, and he has to get away. Now, he may come back in five minutes. He may come back in two hours, but then what do you do? You exercise your rights as a child of God, and you say, get out of here, Satan, and he has to go away. The same God that puts the desire within you to do what is right gives you authority over Satan at that point. And you have the power to literally uh, take, make this, uh, decisions that are spiritual. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Then he says to, in the scripture in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Joy there is contentment. The very antithesis, the opposite of, of being miserable in sin is to be content in God, in His Spirit. Paul had learned to be content in all things. We can, be, we can learn to be content. You may not have much and you may not have accomplished all you wanted to accomplish, but you can learn to be content. And that is not to give up, not by any means. It just means to find a new purpose of God where you are. And David is simply saying, I may not be a good, very, very good father. You know he was a great, great general. You knew what it, he, he knew what it was to take his army, and he knew what it was to conquer over armies. But he was a horrible father. And he knew what it was to not have, he wanted a relationship with God, and, but he had never exercised being a good father like he should have. He was a horrible father with his relationships. He says, then, if you will, if you will give me this particular, allow me to have this particular spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. You know that place where you learn to be content. There will be plans for you at that particular point in your life. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Praise God. There's a purpose for you. There's a new joy you can learn. There's a new peace you can have. And um, in all that you are doing, there's a new life for you. From, from some old, old fellow like myself, retired now, semi-retired, busy as, as busier than ever, in a, in a real sense, there are new purposes. There are new desires. As long as we live, there is purpose and desire for all of us. There's new things to learn to be content with and a new desire that God will put within us. Then he says, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. Now, if you were praying and I were praying, we kind of slipped in this little thing and that little thing. And by the way, since we're talking, God, could you handle this for me? And could you handle that for me? You know he wasn't a very good father. You know, there's going to come times in his life he had to deal with this and deal with that family matter and another thing and another. Now, these were consequences. These were consequences. There are consequences to sin, but 
while David is praying, and this chapter is just full of prayer, while he's praying, he said, you know, since we're on the phone, since we're talking, I've got consequences that could come from my past sins and my past negligence and so forth and so on. God, you can forgive my sins. Would you help me with those consequences? Would you help me with those consequences? And in helping me with those consequences, I know one thing. Why, in doing so, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He is saying, would you somehow, my consequences, would you allow something good to come out of my consequences? Isn't that beautiful? God is not only interested in in our sins and so forth and so on, but he doesn't want any consequences to come to us that is not necessary, that would somehow not help us spiritually. David was suffering and would suffer in many ways because of his sins. But he was saying, God, if there are ways in which you can make something good out of what was done and was bad, would you do it? Would you do it? David, he's a very personable person with God. He has a relationship with God. He can talk to God like that because God knows him. He knows him through and through. He knows him in the innermost parts of his life. And we see in this particular scripture here, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. God doesn't want you to do this or that or the other. You're not serving some Mesopotamian God. You're not just trying to do this or that, attend church or give or whatever you do. You're not trying to do that so you can make your way to heaven. God says to you that just like he walked in the Garden of Eden to find Adam and Eve, he wants to walk and find you where you are. And he wants a walking relationship. He wants to go on you, to, with you on the journey. The journey toward Easter, in a real sense. We see here the journey of relationships, the journey of salvation, the journey of sanctification. And then we also see as well, in verse 18, the journey, the journey of a great church. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Make the church prosper. In your good pleasure. And you know what the answer to that is, don't you? Why all the all the walls that would would be placed to surround to surround Jerusalem to surround Zion, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. Psalms one twenty five and verse two. Those walls around Jerusalem, those mountains around Jerusalem, they were there to protect. We can't build mountains, but we can build walls. And the scripture simply says the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite and, and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We can't do all the things that God can do. But concerning the church, we can build walls. And what does that mean? That means we can build stalwarts, we can protect the church. How do we protect the church according to David? We protect the church as members of the church in relationship to God. He gives us his power and his strength here and there and every person 
in the church literally adds up to building up the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 18, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offering to the light you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The greatest thing we can have that God can have at Easter time when we come is living sacrifices unto him. You're the sacrifice. I'm the sacrifice. And with that, God will be glorified at Easter.